senses destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. This week we're talking about fashion critical studies. Hello, welcome to Destroyed Nonchalance. For this episode, Rick, Serena, and I met at St. Pancras to discuss a recent panel discussion about fashion critical studies that was held at LCF, London College of Fashion. The third. And Rick, you have a list of who the panelists were? Yeah, so it's a, it was a conversation with Professor Christopher Brewer and Professor Luis Crew and Baroness Lola Young. Uh, it included, it has the list of the names, Dr. Joanne Entwistle from King's College, Professor Angela McRobbie from Goldsmith University, Professor Agnes Rokomora from LCF and UAL, <laughs> and Dr. Jane Tynan from CSM. Yeah. Yeah, they're like rock stars. Like, free birth. No, because we've like studied these names, you know, like, I'm kind of amazed about what they're writing about fashion. Yeah, I mean, like the research that I'm doing now, um, Rokamora, she's like the sociology person. She's written about actor network theory. She's written about, she's applied, you know, a few different critical lenses to fashion, ways to study it social, like sociologically, and what she wrote about actor network theory. And that was a great lead into that whole system for exploration. And Entwistle, she's the one who talks about fashion being the situated, um, the social experience, um, experience through the body, like a social practice experience through the body. So, I mean, I use her definition of like fashion. There's, she packs so much into it. So, yeah, when you have all of these people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fashion communication and semiotics. Semiotics, yeah. So it was like amazing to be able to go. And what did what was your overall impression of the night? I mean, because Serena, you and I are kind of coming from a similar one, but Rick, yours is going to be different. But as more of the outsider, what did you think of the night? Well, yeah, I didn't know what to think. Whenever I knew was I was going to be going to this, so. At first, I just thought, oh, they're just going to be people patting themselves in the back and talking about, you know, some of these same, like, non... things that make sense, but I was surprised as the night, the night went on and they were looking at topics from different angles that I'd never really considered. So that was... it ended up being really interesting for me. I did, I did think, who's the professor from up north? The, oh, Brewer. The Brewer. I don't think that they utilized him well. Because yeah. when it came to him talking, he just reviewed what the first two speakers I said. That's yeah. I, I, I liked I his phone. Yeah, I walked in a bit late. So I kept thinking I must have missed like a whole bit. How can he just, uh, I, I did three, at one point he added just three words. 
Yeah, but he yeah. I, he was underused because he just kind of repeated or reviewed, summarized yeah. what I just listened to from the other lady. So that that was one one of the things that I thought, oh, he may have been a bit underused. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I was going to hear from more of the people that were down there, but it was only three main people that were speaking, saying their thoughts. Uh, but that was it. I. I was surprised by some of the new ways to look at certain issues came up. So yeah, it turned out to be a. I was glad I went to it. And you could relate to what they were saying more so than you thought, maybe. Or... Yeah. Okay. Because they were dissecting the system that everybody's kind of running in it's kind of like right. you're the hamster in the wheel and they were looking at the wheel right and and i would i was just thinking like wow if more people knew about this they might open their eyes and like understand what's happening because you just the one example that comes to mind is the one pound bikini and how that was this big story but the, the point of it was to it, it was like getting people into the bookstore and then they would buy the books. You know, get, get them into the bookstore with a discounted book. But then there's like, oh, well, now that I'm here, I might as well buy some more stuff. So it was a marketing technique. And people were just, you know, it, it was like selling outrage. It's like, I'm so outraged about this bikini. But then other people were like, well, maybe I want one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was such a smart, it's a really smart technique to weaponize and use against people, but people don't see it that way. And I mean, I this is the first time I heard about this one pound bikini, and it just seems ridiculous, right, to to sell something online and, and to ship it and, and everything that has to happen. Who's going to make any money out of this one pound bikini? So I get the outrage. But that story on its own, it's free marketing. And so it, that was just one of the things that was like, it was really surprising for me to think about it. Some of the analysis of the wheel that they were looking at that I think so many people would benefit from. Right. So, what did you think of the night, Serena? Since you're, yeah, you're bringing up this difference, like. So I, I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting for sure. I mean, I was pleased to see all these kind of Yeah, yeah. That was quite exciting. And the room was packed as well. It was. It was a good turnout. At first, I was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, all these people. What? You know, the the. Fashion communication I've always been interested in, and I've always thought it needed a bigger stand, and it almost seems like that's what's happening, is that it's becoming more integral and more important into the academic realm, and I think right. it should, rather than just remain social studies, or, you know, Um, we should go ahead and order the food. Yeah? Yeah, especially if we're considering going to the movies. You um, want to have a look there? I know what I want, but do you know what you want? 
I, I want the cards. I'll take the cards. Sorry, it's my first day, so I don't really know. Uh, the cards? <laughs> the cards there, yeah? I'm not hungry, so I'm Are you going to get a dessert? Maybe later, yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you getting a dessert? Did you want any? Alright. Well, I'm not hungry. Okay. Okay, so... Well, I tell you, what was, what, where was I? Um, you were talking about how critical studies of fashion is becoming more central to academic study and not just a social... Um, yeah, so how it's becoming more central. Yeah, because it's not... Because it was always when I would tell people I'm doing fashion. Right. It was like, oh, like, oh, so you're looking about selling clothes. That's what uh -huh. came to mind. Yeah. But actually... What we were studying is there's so much more depth to it, and it, this that um, talk kind of gave what we've been teaching kind of a foundation. It's like it's becoming more important in the academic sphere, and I think it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, I was glad it was open to the public, but I don't even know how anybody would find out about it if you're not in. Um, class and if a professor tells you go to this because it might be good to know or I, I thought that it would have been really nice to to have them set you you've seen show studio videos right like yes. their YouTube videos where oh, they yes. review fashion week like just like a nice background and broadcast it broadcast it because I don't think you could broadcast what we saw it was kind of dingy a little bit dingy and I think that these people, if you see them as the celebrities in, in your research, they deserve something like that. And that deserves to be... And I don't even know if they think people. about it in those terms. Like, I don't know if, like, Agnes Rocamora or Joanne Atwistle are thinking, oh, I should be sitting up on the stage and with the director. And they said it themselves, we're just people. We're just they people. Did. They were like, and we're just learning. And I did like that kind of... Humility? Yeah. Kind of like it's just the down to earth. Yeah, because they were like, you know, we just started this. And because I would like to see it go on to a conference. See, that to me, my overall impression was that it was a launch. They're launching this. Yes. And it was almost like an introduction. And um, again, they talked about having bigger goals, but they had to kind of like tone it down and pull it back a bit. But I felt like it was like a get on board and like join us as we go through this series of talks and it kind of like set the stage because yeah like you said rick i mean breward you know he has a lot to contribute more than just summarizing what other people were saying um and just the depth of like what one of those people could have talked about there's no way that the 10 minutes or whatever that they were allotted was going to contribute very much to um you know and compared to what they could contribute exactly I think, you know, like the fashion and race talk that um, Royce goes to. Right, the whole appropriation. Yeah, topic. and it was just interesting that you had the main talk and then you had other talks in the rooms in the afternoon. I think right. it would benefit from something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because it was all very condensed and Christopher Royce, it was a great book. And I like the poem, the poem was fantastic. You share or everyone has read this? No, it's so Yeah, the poem was fantastic, but I would really have liked to have heard more. I 
Ah, yeah. That was all. Yeah, that was all he did. Um, yeah. I I don't know. And I wasn't a fan of the poem so much. Okay. Why? I wanted more like the hardcore, nitty gritty criticality, like break this apart, give me some points to understand, and it just made me feel like I'm, like, um... Like you're listening to something ethereal a bit, because, you know, each of those sentences can be broken down into so much meaning. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just needed more. That it felt more like... like it was too fluffy. Like it, it was, was too fluffy. Yeah. yeah. It, was, uh, it was looking on the outside rather than being inside the subject and him giving his... It was a good introduction to something I would want more with yeah. meat to yeah. it. Because you know there's like meat in what he's researching. I'd like to think so. You know, you remember, remember the, we, had, we, we all went to a talk and um, I can't remember her name. Yeah. We all traveled from CSM and we're like, oh, I can't wait. She's like a rock star in like fashion studies. Yeah. And then she just made that pink hat. Yeah. Oh. The, the, from, from the uh, Women's March. Oh, really? of the pink hats, and then when it came time to question and answer, I don't know if she was prepared to answer a single question that was asked, she was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and we were like, oh my god, what was the matter with They didn't invite her back. <laughs> it could have been an off night, but... But anyway, compared to that, you know, it was so meaty and it just felt like it was just a quick overview. Of what happened. Yeah, and I like that nobody was laying down and taking it. Yeah. Especially, um, who was it? Baroness Lola Young? Yes, I liked her great. fire. She was great. I, she was like, great. If, if I was going up in a fight, I want her on my side. And she, she's, she talked about industry and the connection. Like, she was saying criticality isn't just on the academic side, that yeah. there are sites of criticality within industry as well, right? Yeah. I honestly related a lot to what she was saying because it's kind of the point that I had made to Jane, I think I may have talked about in the podcast, sometimes I feel like the criticism of capitalism is the, the criticism of bad brand values and that if you could have a brand that was actually engaged in the kind of criticality that she was referencing, that she said, no, it's out there, you can find it, and don't think of all brands as bad, they're not the baddies out there that you have to hate, then it's like, no, and it, that to me seems more realistic, that to me seems like this is more doable, to go out there and find it, because we know a lot of academics who are, we know a lot of what goes on within the academic setting, but the university setting is not critical at all, they're not... And I think, you know, there's probably a lot of criticality that goes unacknowledged within industry as well. And I mean, so I really liked what she said. But it's also, she said that it's easy to think fast fashion is the devil. Because that's easy to understand and it's very easy to see. You see the factories that are breaking down and killing people and this monster that is being fed at Primark and, you know, all of the fast fashion things. But Luxury is also a monster in its own ways because it, it does it in a different scale. So it was... It's she broke down of, that bias. Yeah, it's that. kind of condemning people that think... It, well, it's not... 
it's it's very easy to just condemn fast fashion, but go buy, you know, oh, I buy Burberry, so I'm not being bad by going to Primark. You're still being bad because you're supporting it in a different way. And what was it? I never thought of this, but it's like um, Italian-made leather. It's not from Italy because it, otherwise they'd have all the cows. There would be cows in, all over yeah, the Italian landscape. If in that... Italy, like they bring in the leather from somewhere else and they might work it in Italy, but it's not from Italy. Every handbag or whatever you see. I'd never even thought of that. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think anybody, how many people do you think kind of know that or think about it at all? I don't think many people think about the process. They just think it's Italian leather, so it's good. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I read about fast fashion is that, yes, it leads to a lot of overconsumption, a lot of waste, but because it cycles so fast, it can innovate and adapt faster. And, you know, you have a, a heritage luxury line that's been doing the same thing for like the last. 200 years well at least for like the next 50 it might be in their mind we're still going to use natural i mean we're going to be using animal products the same way we're going to be doing everything the same way because that's what our heritage is based on and that that's like an inertia that has you know been problematic and whereas like well if you're doing fast fashion and you're cycling through everything really fast then okay maybe you can make innovation happen quicker that's true somebody that shops at Primark because that's all they can afford because uh, I think it was a uh, we can support consumer choice when they have a choice some exactly. consumers do not have a choice and exactly. when consumers don't have a choice outside of that it's the responsibility of the businesses that are it's the responsibility of Primark to to be a responsible corporate citizen and, and how they produce the things that they produce so it also, it is very easy for people to say, well, they're bad shoppers because they're shopping at Primark. They're seen as a, a black and white, but some people don't have another option. No, or true. some people don't have an option because only they can eat at McDonald's. They can't afford the organic healthy food that everybody says you're supposed exactly. to eat. Exactly. So poverty and everything, all of that deals so much with... And I mean, you talk about melting down the wall. I mean, how many people in the audience are only able to shop at Stella McCartney because they know that she's like ethical? Well, I'm not shopping there. <laughs> having to shop a certain way and we need to get realistic about what people are actually doing and also um, by putting uh, the hands
putting in the hands of these brands the responsibility, it's one, you're going to have more sweeping changes, whereas expecting all the individual consumers to, they're going to do the, as much as they can. But I've heard that consumers on their own don't even have enough power at this point to make the kind of changes that need to be made. It has to happen at an industrial level at this point. countries like China or smaller like Thailand those countries are no longer taking the recycling from the West anymore they they are not we don't want your recycling and and the US for example doesn't have modern capabilities of actually taking taking all of the recycling so a lot of it just ends up in a landfill or or a lot of it gets it can be contaminated with one thing that has food, so it's that's it for that recycling, and it's such a broken system. It's such a you try to be good. We we, we have a recycling thing, but recycle, does it make it? shut down a lot of uh, the mom and pop shops or the malls or the high street they talked about the high street and all of that being replaced by screens and, and apps a brewer mentioned that like yeah. we're still doing the same things that we're used to be doing but now we've incorporated digital technology and it's just kind of made it more expensive because we don't get the mom and pop shops that we used to have yeah now and we have those companies haven't been responsible they're making millions and earning and earning so much, but and they're using the infrastructure and the system, but they're not giving back to to they're the people. They're not paying taxes. They're not paying taxes, and people don't have the choice to go support their local whatever because it's not there anymore. And so the the industry and the companies are not contributing. They're not giving back to the people that are supporting them. So I mean, they they talked about you know some options like giving people stock or the, having those companies give people like money back like dividends because so much of what they're doing is putting is displacing so many people and they're they're not being responsible about the effects that they're 
having in society. There was something that happened a few weeks ago, and I should have looked more into it, but it's where the CEOs from these companies kind of gathered, and they kind of made an agreement amongst themselves. And Ariana Huffington wrote about this, where they were like, you know, we need to redefine capitalism, and we need to redefine what a stakeholder is, because it's been too limited. Oh, our food is here. Uh, uh, who's that chips? No, this is yours. Oh, okay. Yeah, another cog. Yes. Oh, I think it's those are mine. Oh, okay. Chips. And so they were expanding this idea of who the stakeholders actually are because it's been too limited. And it kind of goes back to in your Henry Ford for every for all the bad stuff that he did, for all the good you know, for all the good stuff that he did. Um, he did make it so that he was paying employees enough to be able to afford their cars. And you, that's like so opposite of the Walmarts and who aren't even paying their employees enough to survive from day to day. So it's smart to kind of redefine the role of like the responsible brand to pay more attention to the stakeholders because you don't want to deprive the people who are working with you to the extent where they can't even afford your products anymore. Um, well, almost, it's that a strategy that they do, they kind of push to, to the edge where they just buy as a need and don't actually give it what they want because they don't satisfy. They keep leaving and they're always going to keep coming back. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, but then the joker's going to happen because you keep pushing people. But it does happen. It does, you know? Oh, I... <laughs> what else? They talked about. I liked the first uh, speaker. You went first. Oh, yeah. It was Angela. Tell me about, tell me about Angela. Angela I missed that. I missed that part. She talked about four factors that, um, four big themes that I thought would be really. I mean, I'm hoping my research touches on this and I need to work this in. She talks about um, the dissociation where. People aren't understanding the connection between what they do and scale and how problems in production and consumption all link up. So there's a relation there's a relationality that needs to be understood. So make the association rather than dissociation. Then there's a biocommodification where um, you and people understand that certain bioproducts are bad, but they don't look down on feathers as much as they look down on fur. People are not arguing as much about feathers as they are about fur and um, about leather. And she's like, biomodification needs to be understood as a, a contentious commodity in general. Um, then. She is it disinternationalization? Disintermediation. Disintermediation. And that's the ultra fast fashion through platform capitalism. Um, I honestly need to look more into that. Influencers in fast fashion. Oh, yeah. Disintermediation. Disintermediation. So, yeah, that's. And then um, materiality and meaning. 
uh, I really like that idea because I, it's through tracing material that you know writing some of the area of my project that I'm exploring. Um, yeah. So. So I liked what she was saying, and this was one of the things that I didn't think about when she was talking about biocommodification and contentious commodifiers, and all of these terms are like. I would go hide in, under a, a rock because they're they're intimidating. This kind of language to somebody that isn't around this every day. So what she was saying is how brands and companies like Louis Vuitton, for example, will have their window displays and they'll have a they'll have a leather bag and they'll have geese or an animal in their window, you know, stuffed or whatever. But people don't make the connection between this animal is this bag, this handbag. I had never thought of that. Because they, they make it fantasy. Yeah, like the, the animals are having a fun time in their window. No, they're dead. <laughs> or they're, they're the handbag or the boot or whatever it is that they're displaying in their window. I don't think that very many people have ever thought of of it that way. Yeah, I agree. I think that's true. And so you have the outrage on, you know, we see we see it all the time on Oxford Street and on Regent Street when there's protesters with their the squealing pigs and and all of that. They're against some of these stores, but I don't see them outside of uh, Louis Vuitton or on Bond Street against the stores that are displaying some of these. Somebody you never see like, protesters on Bond Street. Yeah, I think it's what, always the store like, Canada Canada Geese or something like that. That's on Regent Street. They're always outside of that, and another store um, on Oxford Street. But these displays that I've seen that have these animals or the feathers, it's not just about fur, you know. So it's, that was interesting, like the, the disassociation that happens with consumers or even protesters that are going after one one thing and they're not really thinking about that animal isn't is not happy it's the purse you know you don't think about that so I found that really interesting because some of the pictures that she had I've, I've seen the, the window displays at Louis Vuitton where these geese are like walking around you know and it's like I've seen that I never I never thought twice about it and she had this quote under materiality and meaning and I think it's uh, Dalgiri, that was the, the person who wrote it which is like most people my most important possessions are worth everything and nothing and that's I, I thought that really encompassed the, the materiality what is it materiality and meaning in things that we have because yeah. at the end it's the relationship that brings meaning, so... Yeah, yeah and, it, and, it's, and it, because it's a thing, and uh, what fashion does, and the marketing and the brand around it, does it induce into objects, symbologies, that will relate to and not be to life. Right. You know, that, that's what it's all about, it's a, it's a sexualization of publication. That's what fashion is, I remember saying that to boys. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It is, it is a provocation, and it's um, 
it's a shaping influence, but yeah, it's based on that spark that happens. And I, mean, I thought it was interesting how he talked about um, the defense of pleasure. And um, because, again, you want to be provoked. A, a, a life without provocation would be like really yeah, dull. Most of them were saying, I like fashion. Oh, no, I mean, I love and fashion. I, yeah. But what, 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 what do you mean? So, like, um, a little deeper. If you understand, I mean, if you understand that it's a provocation, then, and then you can understand, okay, but then you keep in mind how things are made, right? Or the cost of this provocation. It's like, okay, fine, I'm making an informed choice, but I'm being, like, I'm being inspired. I'm, I'm, there's an energy to this, it's electrical, and I don't want a life without electricity and passion and um, completely rational everything. Um, because then it's like, it's too ordered. But you should be allowed to have the pleasure, but also understand the cost of the pleasure. And but I don't think you can really do without one. Yeah. Because everything's not, the cost isn't worth it at all if there's no pleasure. And the pleasure is not sustainable if there's no awareness of cost. So it's, it needs both. And yeah, it does. And I think it's the, it's like what you were saying, because it's this association. Yeah. treat it as sheeping people around but that's so boring it's so boring yeah, like, it, make, it makes money it makes money but it's a it's a way of monopolizing who's making the money and yes. you know if you if you make that choice dynamic then you're really making it more competitive between brands yes. and you know I I'm all for that because Shipping it is easier from their side, for the production side, but no, that's so boring. And I think that that's eventually an old way of looking at it. it I hope, I hope so. to, yeah, yeah, I think so. That's what, that's, it's sustainable there, as in, it's sustainable for them to make money for those at the top. Well, that, that's the what they, they talked about towards the end, yeah. was that what needs to change is the the models of business that are being taught because we're talking about all these things and we understand them and we're talking to each other and we're, you know, a bit of patting in the back because now we're there and we know. But the people that need to know are the people in business school that are learning these models that continue to do the same thing. 
Well, and, okay, but I can push back on that too because, like, one of my best friends from university, she went to one of the best business schools in Italy, and her complete her whole dissertation was on her master's dissertation was on sustainable supply chains, and business schools are not approaching it in such a um, one-dimensional way. And like her whole thing was like, no, we need a new way of like making this stuff. We need to really consider what's going to work. And it's, but how many fashion critical academics are talking to business school leaders? Like I don't know, but if they were, then they would. I mean, there's there are good business school examples out there. Well, I think once you leave school and then you go into the real world, then. You go into a business like Disney or you go into a business like Apple, there are things that work for them and they will keep doing the same thing. That's what I mean. It has to be the person's it. initiative and that I, goes in just like your friend. It was her initiative to look at that yeah. and to study that. And once she goes out, maybe she can take that with where she goes yeah. to make some change. So it has to. There is there is structuring structure for the the brands. Like once you go into it, you're part of a culture, but the culture can also be broken down to the people who are making it up. And you have people who are dealing with issues at home, having to go into the office to do this kind of work, and they're not totally disconnected. Brands aren't this other being that's out there that's totally disconnected from daily life. It's made it's constituted from, from the behaviors and the practices of the people who are part of society in other ways. And I think remembering that and by not making critical fashion conversations just happen within the university and, you know, inviting the dialogue and the exchange thing. The people who are working with the brands are people who aren't working with the brands. But there it's like they're gonna have a broader understanding. And that's good that's why I think resonance is really important. Yeah, and I think Lola, that's why she's so good, not coming from a necessarily academic background, but the same as the other academics or the tutors and professors. She was on, she's been on the ground working with them. Yeah. And that's why I kind of respected her point of view, because mm -hmm. she was seeing it as it were, rather than, yes, us, or academics, or Christopher group, you know, in this kind of ivory tower talking about. That might have been why his poem was hard to appreciate after hearing her. Yeah, because he grounded it, you see. Yeah. I have clever wordplay, but no, she has real work with brands. Exactly, exactly, and that's why I respected what she said. Mm -hmm. Now she did kind of put Chris Rivera to task when he was talking about, oh yeah, I've said a few words about the 80s and how life was back in the 80s when I was a student how it was like this and this. And then she said, actually, what I remember of the 80s was that it was really hard for women and black women in particular. So let's right. not, you know, romanticize that time. And I thought that was really yeah. so needed. You know, because it isn't that one. Well, we do look back in this kind of nostalgic sense. And that's what causes narrow-mindedness. Mm -hmm. If you think, oh, when the glory were, days, the golden exactly. age, of and that's how that. we got to where we And I like some of the pushback that happened at the questions at the end, because it wasn't like, I think one of the questions was, how do we get more 
black people to be in these positions so that other black people coming up will want to be in these positions and she was like that's that's not a good way to look at it because you shouldn't only want to do something because you see others doing it like well i guess i i don't know if i'm saying this correctly but you're nodding you're <laughs> you're understanding yeah, what i'm saying yeah, there was some pushback to to that militant question <laughs> she, she was very militant about it and it's like well actually no this this is the way i'm seeing it and i don't think that people generally do something only because they see others of their race doing it because there's a thing about representation and like young people needing to see themselves represented in movies and i think that can be seen on its own differently than like the way she was trying to say academics need to be we need more diversity in academics so that more people will want to be i think that the problem with academics and going into that field is that that's not the dream that's presented to people as far as like you'll be rich you you really have to want to do that field to be a professor or to be an academic because you know you're not going to be making a lot of money so maybe instead of looking at race and color you should be considering that we should appreciate academics more on the way that we pay them and on the way that we value their work and their contribution so that more people will say well that's a good paying job and it, and it is a good thing for society if I go into that job so that that was interesting to think well, about. I thought it was interesting, I have to say. Because just, um, I mean, just her being there for me kind of made a difference. It made it more, I resonated more with what she was saying. And not necessarily because she was black and a woman, but because what she was saying had meaning. Right. And I guess maybe there, there is a conscious relation of me seeing her represented as, you know, being on that panel and speaking with such, like, integrity. It did right. make me feel positive about that. So I did take umbrage with her kind of denying the fact that it shouldn't just be about representation. Of course it shouldn't just be about that. But when you don't see that, when you don't see yourself in yeah. a majority society, yeah. It does make a difference. There's no doubt about it. You know, there are, you know, there are studies on it. The fact that you're like in a minority in some way, I just, like, it, it, to me, it says you've over, you've had to overcome more in order to get to that same yeah. spot. And it does stand out to me, like race or like. Whenever you're just the odd person out, you had to overcome something exactly. in order to make if it into the room. Person, you, would, yeah. you would have a certain amount of respect for you. I, I, I mean, it's really hypothetical what it would have been like if what she said didn't make any sense. But the fact that it did make a lot of sense and it was different from what other people were saying, I think it was made it like it was very valuable. And very. I think I have just a lot of biased respect for people who go into an area where there are not a lot of people like them and that to me signals like a mindset and like okay I'm going to listen to you more because I appreciate that mindset that you're not like everyone else up there 
Yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but the fact that you've gone someplace, you've pioneered a position, you've gone into an area that could have been hostile, maybe not, but you've overcome either just a perceptual barrier, or you've or you've done something that like you look different. You've and that appearance is a lot in the fact that you're willing to overcome that to get to that point. Exactly. Like, that makes me pay attention to what you're going to say exactly. more. So, so, yeah, and that speaks to the opposite of what she was saying. Just you saying that from your point of white male. Yeah, it's... That you respect her in that sense. Yeah, and I mean, I respect her in that sense. Her journey, and I, yeah. I don't think it's... It's not due to the color of her skin exactly. Like, exactly. But her journey, though. That's I, interesting. That's interesting hearing you speak about that. Because... It, it's almost like you have, that's how you make your judgments count. Yeah. No, not, not necessarily negatively, you're making a judgment about where she's coming from. So that is a bias of what she's been through because of the Yeah, I mean, it's something that just resonates the first time you look at the stage. I mean, it doesn't even take that much. It's like, yeah. But I think everybody, whether they like it or not, there's unconscious bias. Exactly, that's what I was getting. And that's why, I mean, just recently I heard that there's some employers that are starting to require a video of why you want to work at their company along with your resume. Like, I think ASOS does that. And a lot of uh, pushback has happened because whether you think yourself post-racial or not, there is unconscious bias, even even at whatever level, so you might pass somebody over if you see a video, if you just by the way that they look. So, I mean, I think that we all have an unconscious bias, and you can analyze it and then learn more about it, and like what you've been doing. That's what I've been, I mean, I've been trying to do it, but, you know, there was a professor that I had in my bachelor, when I was doing my bachelor's degree, and he made a special point of saying that if English is your second language, and you've come here to um, pursue this degree, you've undertaken a challenge that people who just speak English will never appreciate, they will never understand, and that very, like, that obstacle, even, like, understanding what's written on the page, what's being, like, talked about in a lecture, the conversations that are happening around you, you've undergone, you've taken on a challenge that not everyone is going to appreciate. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that I never really thought about that. And so, I mean, I think that, that kind of challenge, you can find that kind of challenge. And it's not just a language thing, it's a class thing, it's a geographical thing, and, yeah, so whenever you have someone who stands out and they're holding their own in a conversation around a bunch of people that don't look like them, it's like, no, they, they get extra credit in my mind. And that's what you were saying about the Spanish accent, I think. Like, it touches on that. Maybe that summarizes it exactly, yeah. but... No, but it's similar because she's using it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's good to, use, to be conscious of it and right. use it as a tool to move forward. But, you know, um, on Twitter I saw somebody speaking about fashion critical studies. Oh really? Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I think it was a girl that asked the question. 
Really? Because uh, you went to go talk with her afterwards. <laughs> okay. Yeah, on Twitter, she tweeted to um, Emma DeBarry. She's a writer, quite famous writer that's doing PhD. Yeah, and then I recognized her. She said, oh, yeah, last week I was at a talk and I was really disappointed that this um, Baroness Lola, I can't remember her last name, said that representation isn't important in academic circles. It really doesn't matter when you said that. Well, I can see both sides. Right. But I, but regardless of whether it makes a difference in the big term or whether we have positive discrimination, just me sitting there listening to that made a difference to me. Right. You know, and it's like it's literally as an individual as that, and that's valid as far as I'm concerned. It's almost like that request to be colorblind when you know that's not a realistic yeah, like, it's not a realistic position to take yeah. you can't be colorblind because one if you're a white male and you're colorblind then you're not going to be paying attention to all well then but then you see now this relates to the dis dis disassociation i don't think you can be colorblind i can't no. say oh i don't see your color in this effect. but the point is it's not and i know when they say that to me it's not about being Colorblind, it's about disassociating yourself. Right, from, adding yourself in the back. Well, yeah, you're, 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 exactly. You're disassociating from, from me as an individual then, because it's all about how we're socialized. And as far as I'm concerned, we're socialized in different ways depending on which majority or minority you're in. Definitely. And I think that, like, if you're, like, very, if you're the mainstream, like, majority and you're making this like claim to be colorblind or any kind of blind basically what you're asking for is let's leave this packaged up so that way we don't have don't to do any like self-reflection exactly it's really interesting because um i don't know if you've watched red table talk with jada pinkton smith you know, i've heard about it but well heard. yeah well last week she had um a
been observing for years and seeing how it works and plays out. And, and it's, I think a lot of what she talks about in that documentary is that and she eventually she moves off of asking black people about white privilege because this is white people's problem. That's why it's not for black people to solve. I have to say, when you said the word "seen it," and I thought, why would I want to watch something like that? In my mind, I have to say, I was thinking, I don't need to watch something like that. That's not for me. That's for white people. But does that? I don't know. That that was my first kind of knee-jerk reaction. Okay, I mean, I can understand, like, solve your own problem, but if you don't ask anybody who's not white what's been going on, it's like being a blind person in the room just smashing around, and it's like, okay, stop smashing around, but you don't understand the damage that you've done. It's like you need, like, the, I think that to not get any kind of feedback, and you're only looking, like, that's it, like, expecting to solve your, like, your problems by just looking in the mirror. And that's, well, you that's need a context, what I she think, started. in order to understand the dynamics of yeah, what you've context, done. The context for me is culture, right. racism, KKK, it's all there. Um, you know, why I might feel I'm not treated as well as somebody, it's all there, we all know it, and it's always been denied, or I've got a chip on my shoulder when I used to tell my other friends when I was young, and I said, oh, I felt like this, and my, my white friends were like, oh, you probably just got a chip on your shoulder, oh, don't worry about it. But you have to yeah, have that. The evidence is there. You don't need to keep picking up a wound from my perspective. Because actually, and I'll be completely honest here, like with the Joker, it's a psyche that needs to be looked at. It is the human psyche, what the West is built on. Right. No, I, I get that. But I don't know how you can say, do you just look in the mirror and say, don't be racist anymore? Or no, do you no, actually no, pay no, attention you, to other people? No, you, you think about why you have certain feelings. Like, what is that about? What is my bias? Why yeah. do I feel like this? What's the history of it? Well, the process that Chelsea went through, What's other sorry? people have to go through. You have to go through talking to black people and seeing, or, or not just black people, but Hispanic, Latino, Asian people, just somebody that is not white people, and and she has she had to go through the first step of doing that to, to realize yeah, that to they're not the people I need to be talking to anymore. But but she had to, sorry she had to do that step, and then she went off of that, and then she started looking more. In, she wasn't just like looking at the mirror and saying like what. I'm deciding now that I'm going to fix this. She she looked at her life and she saw what has happened in her past. And she even went back to her first boyfriend, which, you know, he he had gone to jail. He was a drug dealer and she lived with him. There was a black guy. And yeah. time after time, they would be in a situation where he would get arrested and she would be let go. Yeah, side by side, in the same situation. She got to go and he... He ended up spending years in prison. Years, years in, prison. in prison. But at the end of the documentary, she does go back and talk to him about his experience. Really? Her ex? Yeah. Yeah. She hadn't seen him in so many years, and the family and everything, uh, because she lived, she lived there. She oh, ran away actually, from home. On Jada Pinkett Smith, I heard her say one comment about that she used to say to the mother, "Oh, you've got a big bottle." Yeah, like, yeah. and she realizes now 
<laughs> so what you're saying is don't ask other people how to fix yourself, but once you no, realize... No, but there's a process. I do understand what you're saying, there is a process, but I think the process has been going on for like four years. Yeah. So the evidence is there. I don't know that it has been going on. Yeah, no, maybe not for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but for the, for the people that need to do processes. it. No, like, white people looking at white privilege is just a thing now. It's a thing that's happening now. It hasn't been happening. Systemic racism has been happening ever since slavery ended. It just turned into something else. But it's still systemic racism. And it's, now you, when she went to talk to the white people, they were like, well, you know, they had all of the talking points that you think, well, you know, they get into college because of their skin color, so there's that privilege. I don't have any privilege, I'm the same. Their bias is just built into what they're saying. Yeah, and they like, believe they believe that they, they haven't gotten to the part where, I mean, Chelsea got famous by being trash yeah. and doing the trash that she did, and then she started like looking at that and looking at what was going on and then trying to understand it. And remember she did that? She had a show before, a Netflix show, and then she did a, a four documentaries looking at religion and, and race and drugs and different things like that. So I like what she's been doing since her Netflix show. Because I never watched the E! Trashy Celebrity show That's that she I has. She was a so I yeah. Know about her, so maybe the fact that you're telling me about her life and Virtue waving with this podcast, for example, 
by talking about what we think is right and then making a show of what we think is right because we're mediatizing it. So to a certain extent, and I'm pushing up against that sometimes, I do ask them that it's just okay to describe. Yeah. And that's why I keep saying, is it okay to talk about ourselves in words? Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In a sense, because I feel like we have to give something. But in a sense, well, I appreciate what you two are saying that yeah, because you know the idea that the personal is political. So if you're talking about the truth of your personal life and what you do every day, that is political. And then building on that by, like, okay, now here's some critical tools that you can apply to the rest of culture. Like, our personal stuff is political, but then here's, here's how it's political. And this is a tool for understanding it. Here's a tool for understanding it. That makes sense? Yeah, that does. And not making it so rarefied that you can only hear about this in the form of a lecture. Because I would be a crap lecturer at this point. I don't know enough about this. Okay, I'm not in that position, but what I can do is reflect on this stuff. Yeah, only by experience, but by knowledge and the way that you speak and communicate with people, you are up there. So don't ever think that you're not. Oh, I know. I see you as a. I like talking about it, but it's not from. That's all you need. That's all students look for from a teacher of someone who's interested in what they're saying. Are we done? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate all the listeners that that went on this journey with us. (laughs) And I like this conversation. Yeah, I I like it. I mean, I love talking. Yeah. So, are we all, we all want to get to the next panel discussion, right? The critical fashion panel discussion? Yeah. I don't know so when it is, but... There's going to be, like, they mentioned two more that are happening, but they're yeah, based off pretty months apart, I think months apart. I definitely need to know. Okay. Yeah. We'll look those up and we'll make sure to get in. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye for now. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, we put it on Google, and follow us on social media, we're on every platform, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're everywhere.